0: Please remain standing for the reading of scripture as we bring forth things old and things new. Our New Testament lesson comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and we'll begin reading in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, this is the word of the Lord. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. "...which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God." For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have The mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll turn now to our Old Testament lesson and sermon text, which is on much the same theme that Paul speaks, and that is Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, we read the entire chapter last time. Uh, This time we'll just read verses 19 to 23. Daniel 2, starting in verse 19. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings, raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand." The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. I recently finished a somewhat eccentric book, but one that was thought-provoking, titled Through New Eyes, Developing a Biblical View of the World. And in that book, which is what the title says, Grappling with the Bible's Own View of the Cosmos, uh, the author argues that whenever God acts in history, his actions tend to follow a five-fold pattern. And here they are, at least according to the author. Uh, God takes hold of creation. He restructures it. He distributes the results. He steps back and evaluates his work. And finally, he enjoys the finished product. So a five-fold pattern. Take hold, restructure, distribute, evaluate, enjoy. Just to give you an example of how this works, um, when we come to the book of Exodus, God takes hold of Israel in the land of Egypt. He separates them from that land and brings them to the waters of the Red Sea. He gives them the law at Sinai, And then he passes judgment on them for their sin with the golden calf. And eventually, he fills the tabernacle with his glory. Well, in that series of events, God is taking hold. He's separating or restructuring. He's distributing or giving the law, passing judgment, but ultimately entering into the rest of his holy house and enjoying what he has made. Well, if that's true, that often at least God works in this fivefold manner, one thing to think about is that we are made in the image of this God, and we are called to reflect how he works. We know that because in the creation account, God works for six days and rests the seventh day, and that becomes a model for our labors. We work six days and rest on the seventh day. But the author of that book argues that when we come to our reflection of God, there is a key difference beyond the fact that he's God and we're not, and it's an analogy. But there is, there is a difference, that in addition to taking hold and restructuring and distributing and evaluating and enjoying, when it comes to our reflection of God, there is an added component. What do you think it is? What would we add to our reflection of what God does? It's something that would actually be inappropriate for God, but it's absolutely necessary for us. I'll give you an example of how this might work, and you can try to identify where the additional step would go in the sequence. It's dinner time. Bear with me. It's dinner time, and you go to the table, and you take hold of bread. And you break it. And you distribute it to everyone there. And they take a bite and tell you their judgment of whether it's good or not. You take a bite and tell your mother, that's the best bread I've ever had. And then you sit back, and you enjoy it. That's a little copy a picture of how we might reflect the way the ways and the works of God everything there reflects God's way of working in the world but there is a missing step in that sequence something that would be inappropriate for God but would be absolutely necessary for us what did i leave out of that dinner time picture anybody thanks excellent I never said grace over the meal. I never prayed over the food. I never said thank you. The additional step in our reflection of God is thanksgiving. Our acknowledgement of dependence upon and gratitude toward the Lord. And if you think about it, if you think about it, God doesn't have to say thank you He's the creator. He's the giver. But we're creatures who receive the gifts. And so, as we reflect God, there's an important additional component, and it's giving thanks. In fact, thanksgiving is at the heart of creaturely Christian piety. So, like God, you take hold of something in creation. But before restructuring it, you stop and you say, thank you, take the bread, bless God for it, then break it, then distribute it, take a bite, and enjoy. Now what in the world does that have to do with Daniel chapter 2? Well, I'm going to argue much in every way. So just bear with me as we meander our course to the prophecy of Daniel. Before we make the connection, let's just set this passage in a little bit of context. If you recall from last time, um, along with the wise men who can't interpret the dream, uh, Daniel and his three friends have received a death sentence. Remember that. Nebuchadnezzar wants both the dream and the interpretation, the magi, the wise men, the magicians, the Chaldeans. They can't figure it out, and so he says, I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to cut you limb from limb and turn your houses into ash heaps. And this extends to Daniel. So Daniel, as we saw last time, does his due diligence. He goes to the king, asks for more time. Let me figure this out. And then he goes to God in prayer. And we see his prayer in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, so that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He cries out to God. He does due diligence because he believes in human responsibility— And he cries out to God because he believes in divine sovereignty. And only God can rescue them. And lo and behold, God hears the prayer. Look at verse 19. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar receives a dream, Daniel receives a vision. Specifically, a night vision. In other words, Daniel is not asleep. This apparently happens while he's awake. In the night season, God visits him with a vision. It might remind you of uh, the prophet Zechariah who had a series of night visions. Now here's where it gets interesting. Just thinking about Where Daniel is in the story, you might expect him to go straight to the king. In other words, his life is on the line, his days are numbered, the hourglass of his existence is just about to run out. And when you receive an answer to what the dream is and what it means, and you know that time is of the essence and it's urgent, I think the normal human response would be to take the answer you've received from God, and maybe even run to the courts of the king, because Ariok might come back any second now and cut your limbs off. In fact, if you you think about it, uh, you could conceivably jump from verse 19 to verse 24 without skipping a beat, Verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Jump down to verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. Gets the answer, therefore he goes to Arioch. I've got it. It makes sense. But that's not what he does. No, we actually get... The rest of verse 19, all the way down to verse 23, as intervening passage. This is important. That's why we're doing a whole sermon just on these verses. Before delivering the interpretation to the king, Daniel stops dead in his tracks and offers a prayer of thanksgiving first congregation of the lord jesus christ this is not a minor add-on or a take it or leave it option no for daniel thanksgiving is of the utmost importance indeed structurally and thematically this prayer is at the center the heart of the entire chapter if you graph it out outline the passage this is at the heart why Well, the king can wait because the king of kings comes first. The king can wait because the king of kings comes first. He gives thanks. Well, tonight we're going to look at this passage under three headings. First, we're going to look specifically at Daniel's prayer right here. And then we'll connect that to Jesus' prayer. And then finally, we'll connect that to your prayers. Start with Daniel, move to Jesus, and then move to you. And the thread that will connect them is prayer itself. So, first, let's look at Daniel's prayer of response to God's revelation. Now, this prayer, if you look at the, the vocabulary and the language, it's very similar. Uh, to Psalm 41.13 and Nehemiah 9.5. It's basically the genre of barakah. It's a Hebrew word, it just means blessing. Maybe you've heard the name Baruch. It's from the same root, it means blessed. It's a barakah. it opens with these words, blessed be, blessed be. Now, as we pronounce blessing upon God, we know that He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, which means uh, we can't add any glory to the all-glorious one. Uh, We can't add any blessing to the all-blessed one. But what we can do, as we talked about this morning in the new members class, we can reflect God's glory back to him. He can bless us, and in response, we can bless him. We can reflect his blessing back to him. Now, this barakah, this prayer of blessing, has a certain structure where there's praise or thanksgiving followed by reasons for prayer or thanksgiving. We see this structure in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. First, you have praise blessed be. Why? Well, there's reasons. For wisdom and might are his. And it's followed by illustrations of might and wisdom in verses 21 to 22. And that same structure of praise and reason for praise is repeated in verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you For you have made known to us the king's demand. So once again, praise. I thank you and praise you. Why? Well, there's reasons. You have given me wisdom and might, made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. So with this pattern in mind, we see it in general terms in verses 20 to 22. And then we see the same pattern Particular to Daniel's situation in verse 23. So general to particular. Uh, Generally speaking, we can just start with his, his opening part of the prayer. Daniel blesses God for wisdom and might belong to him. Wisdom and might. That pair reminds me somewhat of Isaac Watts' great hymn, I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. Both of those attributes are brought together, wisdom and might. Not one or the other, but both. I think Calvin puts it really well. We must remember how God is defrauded of his just praise when we do not connect these two attributes together, his universal foresight and his government of the world, allowing nothing to happen without his permission. He's all-wise and all-powerful all the time. They go together, and this speaks to God's wise sovereignty over nature and history, space and time. We see God's might on display in verse 21. So again, he said, for wisdom and might are his. Now he's going to illustrate that more concretely. Here's an illustration of God's might or power. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up Kings, in might, God changes the times and the seasons. It's a different word in Hebrew, but it's an echo of Genesis 1, where in day four, you have the rulers of the firmament, the sun, the moon and the stars, and they're made for signs and seasons, and for days and for years. And although God uh, preserves nature for the sake of redemption, he also reserves the right to make all things new, to change. The times and the seasons. Think of Isaiah 43. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall come forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the deserts. In other words, I'm going to change the times and the seasons. I'm going to make a new creation. In power, God likewise removes kings, and he raises up kings. And you have to realize, what has Daniel just received? It's a vision concerning a dream involving a metal man with gold, silver, bronze, iron, and terracotta mixed with iron. He's just received a vision of a dream of a succession of world empires in which the gold of Babylon is replaced by the silver of Persia, which is replaced by the bronze of Greece, which is replaced by the iron of Rome. And he's also seen a stone out of the mountain, cut without hands, crush that statue and bring it to dust. Each new administration, every revolution... Conquest or invasion is under the sovereign control of God. Having seen the vision, Daniel prays it back to the Lord that he is king of kings and lord of lords and congregation. This is helpful perspective for us. This is helpful perspective for us. Not just during a November election or a time of political upheaval, but any time that you are distraught by what you're seeing in the world, by the movers and shakers, the powers that be, whether internationally or locally, or anything in between, you realize that God is the one who takes people down and raises them up. He is under sovereign control. And that leads Daniel to thank God and to praise God. Wisdom belongs to you. Might belongs to you. And that's the first half of the equation. It's God's power. But with Calvin, we need to connect these two attributes, and that leads us to God's wisdom. We see God's wisdom on display in verse 21, the second half, where Daniel says he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him again he's just piling up reasons to praise and thank the lord here he's spotlighting the attribute of wisdom that in wisdom god gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding Uh, this is where wisdom and knowledge come from this is what makes the wise men wise if you've met someone who's either remarkably intelligent or knowledgeable or even a step further who is wise, who can interpret events and speak a word in season meaningfully that does not hit the ground, that ability is from the hand of the Lord. It's not manufactured by men. It's God who gives these things. And Daniel recognizes that later on in the chapter in verse 30 when he's before king nebuchadnezzar he says but as for me uh, this secret has not been revealed to me because i have more wisdom than anyone living but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart it's not about me i'm no one special i'm not a unique snowflake i'm just a faithful man He's trying to serve the Lord, and this is from God. God is the one who makes the wise men wise. Not only that, but in wisdom God reveals the deep and secret things, precisely what just happened to Daniel. The secret things we know from the book of Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. That God uh, keeps certain things secrets. In his divine counsel, perhaps he speaks them to angelic beings within that divine counsel, um, but he reserves the right at points to reveal those secrets to his friends. And that's what a friend is, isn't it? A friend is someone in whom you confide. A friend is someone in whom you seek counsel And so you draw them into your counsel and reveal secrets to them to get their advice. God revealed Pharaoh's dream to Joseph. He revealed the temple blueprints to Ezekiel. He revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel. This is the application of the principle set forth in Psalm 25. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenants. Or Amos chapter 3, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Daniel here is a prophetic figure, and it's as if God is saying, come, come into my divine council. I'll make you a junior cabinet member, and you can sit here and listen in on the discussions and deliberations as I speak with my angelic host, and I'm going to reveal to you a secret. Because you're my friends. Because I'm inviting you into my counsel. I'm going to give you access to deep and secret things, the deep things of God that are known by the Spirit of God and communicated through the Spirit to His prophets. Finally, in wisdom, God knows what is in the darkness and light. Dwells with him. As we think about this attribute of wisdom, there seems to be, according to some commentators, a kind of progression where it starts with deep things, then it moves to secret things, and then finally, dark things. So they're deep, they are secret, and they are dark. And yet, Daniel says that the light dwells with God, as E.J. Young puts it, as though with a person. God knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. In general fashion, we've seen it. Daniel blesses God for his wisdom and his might on display in redemptive history. But at this point in the prayer, uh, Daniel shifts from a general description of reasons to thank God to a particular reason to thank. A particular prayer of thanksgiving. That reminds me a little bit of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which says we should repent of particular sins particularly, while we should also give thanks for particular gifts particularly. Not just content to say, God, thank you for doing such mighty works in redemptive history, but God, thank you for doing this in my life. Daniel makes that transition. Look at verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers, you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Now, so just just notice a few observations about this particular person specific prayer. First, Daniel takes a general pattern in history and applies it to his own situation. General pattern applied to his own situation, and this is instructive for you. It's instructive for me, that we can take God's pattern in history and apply it to whatever we're going through um, by way of analogy. Of course, this means you have to remember. You have to remember what God's done in your life. You have to take notice of what he's done um, in your week. Maybe you keep a journal of prayer requests and answers to prayer. You keep a journal of what was going on in your life and how God stepped in and intervened. How you were struggling financially or medically or relationally and how God stepped in and showed himself mighty to save. Uh, maybe you keep a kind of commonplace book. And as you go through that that commonplace book, you're able to connect dots cautiously of God's providential dealings in your life, Uh, where you're not just remembering, but you're starting to, as it were, cautiously interpret what God is up to in your life. And as you do that, as you remember, you have abundant stores of reasons to turn around and say, God, thank you. Thank you for particular gifts in a particular way. Second thing about this prayer to notice is that although wisdom and might uh, belong to God as the creator, that's what verse 20 says, uh, these attributes can be granted to his creatures. They can be granted to his creatures. Daniel says, you have given me... Wisdom and might. Uh, These are what we might call uh, communicable attributes. Attributes that belong to God but can be communicated to us. And this is something you should pray for. If you're not sure what to pray for, you can pray, God, give me wisdom. If you're not sure what to pray for, pray for wisdom. You can never have too much of that. God, give me wisdom. God, give me strength. Give me might. Give me power. These attributes that belong to you, God, communicate them to me analogously. As a a creature, I want to have wisdom. I want to have strength. Third observation, although Daniel is singled out throughout this story, notice that he includes his friends in the prayer. He says, you have given me wisdom and might. And have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. See, Daniel toggles between me and we. Between I and us. And this points to a corporate dimension to his prayers. That... This isn't just something he's doing on his own. They're praying together. He and Mishael and Azariah and Hananiah, they're praying together. And then when God answers those prayers, they're sharing those answers together. And then not just sharing, but then celebrating together. And that, again, is instructive for us. We should be praying together and sharing requests appropriately together And then when God answers, say, you know that thing I asked you to pray for? God answered that prayer. The thing that was really burdening me, and you asked me what was wrong, and I told you a little bit about it. God God did something remarkable, and can I tell you about it? Thank you for praying. And then we rejoice, and we celebrate together as a community even. This is something we maybe even has been widely known. And we rejoice, and we give thanks. I mean, recently we've been praying for, for Dan McGinn his surgery, trying to support him as a church community, praying in concerted efforts. And then when we hear that he's back home, we rejoice together. There's a, a corporate or communal aspect to our prayers. And there's a fourth and final observation to make about this particular prayer of Thanksgiving, and that is that Daniel uh, names God in this prayer. The name of God is important in this passage. Very beginning, he says, blessed be the name of God, which we know would be Jehovah, God's memorial name, or Yahweh, Lord, the God who is who he is, the covenant king. And to this invocation, blessed be the name of God, Daniel adds two beautiful divine titles. God of heaven in verse 18, and then God of my fathers in verse 23. And the name of God and the titles of God are worth our reflection, meditation, and pondering. I know at least one of you has a binder, I think, full of the titles and names of the Lord. And these two are worth pausing and considering. God of heaven. Not merely the God who interacts with beings on earth, but the God whose throne is in heaven, his dwelling place, in unapproachable light. God of my fathers. That title speaks to a certain covenant heritage or legacy, that I stand in the long line of faithful men and women who've come before me, God of my fathers. And think about how you might use these titles in your prayers as you name God. Think about how you might take these titles and weave them into the tapestry of your own prayers. Now, just to head off one possible objection, you might say, how can I say God of my fathers when I'm not descended from Abraham according to the flesh, the way Daniel was? Or maybe, if you even take it a little different direction, say, how can I say God of my fathers if I'm a new Christian? I'm a first-generation believer where my father didn't worship God and his father didn't worship God And I'm pretty sure my great-great-great-grandfather was a pagan, too. How can I say God of my fathers the way that Daniel does in this passage? Well, congregation, you can still use this title. It's true even if you are a first-generation believer. And here's why. This is the beauty of God's grace. Through water baptism, you have been grafted into the olive tree of God's visible covenant People. And when you get grafted into God's visible covenant people, God is saying, you have a new identity, you have a new people, you have new songs to learn, new stories to tell, you have a new family tree that you didn't know about before. And that's why in Deuteronomy 26, which is about the first fruits offering, one of my favorite passages... It's one of those passages where you think about a Gentile like Rahab, who, when she got converted and was brought into God's covenant people, even in the Old Testament as a Gentile, and she became a Jew. If someone was like that, who they were the first generation of people to believe this stuff, here's what they would say when they offered their first fruits. Everybody My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there. That's amazing. That Gentile proselytes who became Israelites, who were circumcised and brought into the covenant people of Israel, they could stand up at first fruits and say, My father was a wandering Syrian, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, and afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. We can say that, because covenantally speaking, they are our fathers. You have a new family tree. It's just an encouragement to you that even if you're a first generation, totally new believer, you can claim this language and by way of covenant, say, God of my fathers. God of my fathers. This is a great way to to enrich your address to God using biblical language. Just a few observations. We've considered Daniel's prayer of thanksgiving in response to God's revelation, and we could stop there with helpful Instruction on how to take general patterns and make them personal, how to share our prayers with other people in the body, um, how to enrich the, the rhetoric of our prayers, all sorts of things that would be useful, and we could conceivably stop there, but the, the surrounding verses of this prayer, you can almost think of this prayer as a diamond that it sets in a certain way. And the setting suggests a deeper dimension. Uh, Daniel's prayer concerns the God-given interpretation of a dream. A dream that involves the coming of a stone that's going to crush the metal man statue. A coming king who's going to conquer the kingdoms of men. Which means that we cannot truly look at Daniel's prayer and not consider the person of Jesus Christ. Because this passage is saturated with signposts pointing to him. Daniel says that wisdom belongs to God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Daniel says that power belongs to God. Well, Jesus' gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Daniel says the light dwells with him. Well, Jesus is the light of the world who enlightens every man. Uh, Daniel's prayer concerns the revelation of a deep, secret, dark mystery. Well, congregation, ultimately, that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What did we just read earlier? But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory i has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which god has prepared for those who love him but god has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of god in speaking of the deep secret dark mystery What Daniel's ultimately pointing to is the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that brings us from Daniel's prayer to Jesus' prayer. And I want us to briefly consider two of Jesus' prayers in particular one offered concerning his life, and the other offered on the eve of his death. Matthew 11. It says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. This is Jesus taking up the language of Daniel chapter 2 and applying it to himself. Unless you think that somehow you're denied access into this mystery, Jesus goes on to say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But it's not just Jesus' prayers in his life that echo this passage. Ultimately, this passage takes us, really, to that prayer Jesus offered on the eve of his crucifixion, where, as we considered this morning, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. In that prayer... The Son reflected His Heavenly Father in taking hold, breaking, and distributing the bread. And the Son, according to His humanity, added that all important component, the same thing that Daniel did in between receiving the interpretation and coming to the king. What was that? Jesus offered a prayer of thanksgiving. is Daniel received the answer, blessed God, and went to the king. Even so, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples after taking the bread. But before breaking the bread, Jesus blessed it on that side of the cross, He showed us how to pray on the other side of the cross. And that brings us finally to your prayers, your prayer life today as New Covenant believers. Um, As you read Daniel 2 through the person and prayers of Jesus Christ, my final exhortation is simply do not forego or forget the all-important step of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, Eucharist, gratitude, and it's so easy to do. Think about the cupbearer in the prison of Egypt, where he's uncertain of his fate, and he has a weird dream, and he tells Joseph about it, and Joseph tells him, this means that in three days, you're going to be lifted up out of prison and put back into a position of great authority. And Pharaoh's house and the cupbearer is ecstatic. He's received an answer. And then what's he do? He forgets. He forgets all about Joseph until later on Pharaoh has a dream. And he says, oh, there was this, this man back in prison who told me my dream. I forgot all about him. Maybe he can help you. Or you think about the the lepers who were healed by Jesus, and all of a sudden they've been outcast, and now they can enter into the, the, the court of the temple, and all but one just keep going on their merry way to the next thing. But one stops, turns back, and says, thank you, Lord, for healing me so easy to forego or forget or gloss over even these verses. I want to get from the dream to the interpretation of the dream. Why is there this interlude of prayer? Well, congregation, when you've prayed earnestly for someone or something, perhaps for an extended period of time, and then out of nowhere, God shows himself mighty to save, there is a moment where you will be tempted to jump from verse 19 to verse 24. You're going to be tempted to jump from, then the secret was revealed, therefore Daniel went to Arioch. Then I receive a clean scan from the doctors, and I go along my merry way. Then I receive an unlooked-for financial provision, And I go along my merry way. Then I receive a beautiful reconciliation with someone with whom I was estranged. And then, therefore, I go along my merry way. In that moment, you're tempted to jump from verse 19 to verse 24. And in that moment, by the grace of God, you need to stop. And do something that would be inappropriate for God, but absolutely necessary for you, and that is to simply say thank you. To take hold and bless and then break. The king can wait. The king can wait because the king of kings comes first. Let's pray.